All right, tonight our our 10th study in the Sermon on the Mount, our 27th study that we've done here in Simply the Savior, these little pictures of Jesus. Jesus is now going to turn his attention in the Sermon on the Mount to one of, I believe, the great deficiencies in the body of Christ, and that's our prayer life. And not so much because we don't ever pray, but because so very often we, we pray in a way really to get something from God. We're actually trying to maybe change his opinion on things. It's interesting how our prayer life uh, can become at times exactly as Jesus is going to uh, point out in this particular passage. We'll pick up in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 6 tonight in the power of prayer part 1. You see... For many people, prayer life becomes kind of like so many other things in our lives that have to do with the Lord. It's almost like a, another piece of the religious puzzle. We have certain things that we say in prayer. We have certain things that we do in prayer. We have certain places we go in prayer. We, we really don't do what I believe the Lord wants us to do because... Prayer really is our opportunity to commune with the Lord. It's to sit down and actually have a heart-to-heart with the King of the universe. It's to spend some time engaged with our Heavenly Father. It's not really for us at all. It's for Him. We get an opportunity to, to voice ourselves and to be heard But really, even our prayer life is supposed to glorify God. So we're to pray according to his will, not simply our wishes. I have listened to some very interesting prayers in my time in ministry. So very often, much like Elvina was sharing with us this morning, and in in her time and in kind of making sure she hunted down her mom and got down at her feet. She probably prostrated herself on the ground and got into that really famous praying position. You know this one? Oh God, in the heavens, exalted and most holy, all wise and all known. You know, you've probably listened to people pray like that. And again, I'm not saying that it can't necessarily be true, but very often... We're actually praying so that other people will actually hear what we're saying. And so Jesus addresses our prayer life and he begins by reminding us exactly how not to do it. And he's going to go on and share with us the incredible Lord's Prayer and we'll get to that next time. But before we dig into the word, let's pray and ask God to be with us tonight and to hear us, to be glorified in all that's said. Father, we are so grateful for you. And Lord, we do when we pray, just simply want to talk to you and commune with you and have you speak to us. Lord, we don't want anything to hinder that. And we confess at times, Lord, our prayer lives aren't what they should be. And so, Lord, help us tonight. Encourage us tonight. Bless us tonight. Fill us with your presence uh, in this place. Would we know your good and your perfect will and be able to articulate that clearly to you. Lord, would we fall in line with the very thoughts that you have towards us. If you, Lord, could communicate to us exactly what that is, and you can. And Lord, we would hear it and obey that we would ask for the things that you want for us. And so, God, we bless you. Pray that you take your word now and strengthen us with it. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 5 here in Matthew chapter 6. And now he goes on, and when you pray... And, and when you pray, he, he's already talked about giving, and he's, he's talked about that in the light of, of a hypocrite. And again, please do remember that what he's really saying, in, in light of being an actor, someone who's pretending, someone who's not being real with God, someone who's being maybe even two-faced at times, and I don't want to be too harsh because we can all uh, pray some lame prayers occasionally. Anybody in here ask for things that thinking about it wasn't the brightest thing you ever thought? Uh, Yeah, I've prayed for some stuff. It's like, oh, Lord, thank you for not answering that one. 
And when you pray, notice it doesn't say if you pray. Please mark that, circle it, underline it. It says when you pray. There is, that's, that's assumptive. It, it means you're going to pray and when you do it. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. You won't be like the religious actors. You won't be like the pompous, self-righteous, arrogant people that the Pharisees were, not like the hypocrites. Because God's really not paying much attention to that. Oh, he hears it because he's God, but he's not likely to respond in a way that's going to be beneficial to the person because the prayer isn't what God's expecting to hear. And they're doing it for the wrong reason, for the wrong purpose. And Jesus goes on to remind us what that looks like. You shall not pray uh, like the actors. Choose that word. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues. He goes on to talk about what it is that they do that's, that's not really all that pleasing to the Lord. Standing in the synagogues. And on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Their prayer life really isn't to the Lord. It's to be seen by men. To be heard by men. To cause people to think one way or another about their prayer life. Can I share with you that I've sat in an awful lot of prayer meetings in my time in ministry. And I've listened to an awful lot of what I call prayerful manipulation of gossip. Lord, please deliver Jim from his sexual sin. And God, I hope he really doesn't run into that guy. And Lord, you know, you just go on and on with all the gruesome details of somebody's life. And it's really just gossip. Disguised as prayer. Oh, it sounds religious. And there'll be plenty of gods and plenty of fathers and some El Shaddai's thrown in. They'll usually be in some kind of position of, you know, prayerfulness. I don't mean to be judgmental, but it's very clear that what they're saying, they're, they're doing so that other people will know that they have a piece of information that they don't have. And when you pray, you should not pray like the actors, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the street corners that they may be seen by men. For assuredly, I say to you, they have the reward. That's not a good thing when Jesus said you've already got your reward when you just utter the words. That's as far as it's going to get is what he's saying. Those words are coming out of your mouth and dropping to the floor like hot rocks. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And I want to be really careful here. There's a time and a place for public prayer. And we we do that during services. We do that in public prayer meetings. There's a time for public prayer. But I really believe that by and large, our prayer lives should be between us and God. Not in corporate settings. Not in large groups. But you and the Lord doesn't mean that there isn't a time and a place. There is a time and a place for corporate prayer. And we see that in Scripture. But by and large, most of our praying needs to be between us and God. And when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, notice the pronouns that are used here. Very personal. And when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, do you see it? It's just you and God. Someplace private. Now it can be a closet, it can be a room, it can be a rock, it can be some place at work, you know, it could be your car. Someplace in your backyard. Jesus isn't saying, you know, you have to have, and some people will say it, you know, well, I I got my prayer closet. For some people, it's a real closet. For other people, it's just some place where there aren't a whole bunch of other people. 
One of the things that you learn very quickly when you travel to third world countries and families are very large and they all live together in one or two rooms, it's tough to find a prayer closet. Sometimes a prayer closet is, the, is out underneath a tree somewhere. But when you pray, you go into your room and when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. I, you know, I really do love praying for people. But I can tell you this. My, my prayers and your prayers fall in the same ears. And the words that come out of your mouth really are the same as the ones that come out of mine. The ones that come from your heart are just as capable as the ones that come from mine. Some people think I have like the, you know, like a God phone on my desk. Like I can just, you know, punch the numbers on there. It's like I got a direct line or something. And I have to go the same way you do. I have to go before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Father who's in that secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. In other words, he's going to give you an answer that, that's fit for the prayer that you've offered when you do it right. And when you pray, notice he returns to what you shouldn't do. I love that Jesus does that because it keeps us away from some things that I think are particularly harmful to an effective prayer life. And notice I didn't say one that's necessarily sinful, just simply one that's effective, one that really accomplishes things for the kingdom. And so he says, and when you pray, again, it's directive. When you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. Now I want you to see two things. He says, don't pray like the hypocrites or the actors. And definitely, don't pray like an unsaved person. Have you ever had people that you know actually don't know the Lord say they're going to pray for you? Those are what we call in Disney terms, happy thoughts. They don't go very far. Because in order to have God the Father listen and answer, you need to have Jesus the Son. Otherwise, the only prayer he's waiting for is the one that says, I'm sorry, I'm a sinner, and I need to be saved. Beyond that, we gain access to heaven to hear the rest of our prayer life when we say yes to Jesus Christ. Because our sins still remain, and Scripture says that your sins have separated you, the prophet Isaiah writing, so that God does not hear your prayer. If you, if you have sin in your life, the first thing you've got to deal with is the sin. first thing you have to deal with is the, is the problem between you and God. The rest of it in his graciousness, he, he may hear the words, which he does, because he's God, he hears everything. But there's no divine imperative for him to act on those things until you're one of his kids. And let me give you the, an easy way to understand that. I have two sons. My two sons have the right to call me father. They are the only two people on the entire earth that have that right. Nobody else has that right. They also can come to me and ask of me as their dad for anything that I have because ultimately my inheritance, Connie and I's inheritance, is their inheritance. It's actually also theirs. And the same is true when you're asking of God. God's kids can come to God the Father for the resources of heaven because you're part of the family. And so the Lord is really instructing us, look, there, there's a lot of people who, well-meaning and well-intentioned as they may be, are going about it all wrong. Don't use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. And therefore do not be like them. For your father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. In other words, God's not surprised by anything. He's not going, wow, he never saw that prayer need in Jeff's life. You know, I don't know how that one snuck by me, but boy, I sure didn't see that one coming. God knows exactly what we have need of. And he's waiting for us to ask correctly. Again, I turn your attention 
and forgive me because I realize maybe not everyone can relate to this, but it is the most common one that we can use. You see, when your kids come to you and they go, well, give me that new thing, you kind of go, that's not how you ask for that. When they come and they say, well, you just have to change the way you think because you know what? I'm now in my 20s and I can do anything I want. Well, you're in your 20s, you can do anything you want, but I don't have to listen to you. Now multiply times infinity, and God the Father is listening. How many times do you think he's going to really go, you know, thank you for yelling at me. Thank you for vainly repeating things over and over and over again until you just at nauseum have made me kind of dull of hearing. You remember when your kids were young, for those of you that have older children, remember they were young and they used to ask for the same thing over and over and over and over again. You remember what it did to you? You ask me for that again, I'll beat you with it. <laughs> now God doesn't quite respond like that, but I, I can see that, you know, he's like, Jeff, 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 you know, I haven't answered for a reason. There's a reason I have not answered that prayer. I, I'm not deaf, I hear you. And you keep asking for the same thing, and I keep telling you the same answer, no or not right now, and you're just not getting it. God knows what things you have need of, and notice the issue is need there, not your wants. I've prayed for a lot of wants in my life. It's like, I, I you know, want this, I want that, I need this, and then God says, no, you don't really need that, you just want that. And so in that sense, really what the Lord is saying here is there, there really is a wrong way to pray. Some people think that's you know, almost far-fetched, but no, it's, it's pretty clear that Jesus is saying, look, there's a wrong way to pray at times. We get caught up in it. And I want to turn your attention really to the context here, because if there was ever a group of people who should have known how to pray right, it would have been the Jewish people, Amen. They had a personal relationship, if you want to look at it that way. God had spoken to them directly. I mean, he had imparted to them the law. He'd given them the prophets. He'd given them, given them all of the temple ceremonies and the sacrifices. He'd made all this wonderful, you know, just this amazing picture of what would ultimately be the life of the Messiah. You know, they could look at all these things. And he had even gone so far as to communicate to them the Shema. And the Shema was, in essence, the daily prayer. It begins, Hear, O Israel, the Lord... The Lord our God is the Lord. And, and they would begin that way. They'd begin every day that way. They'd close every evening that way. Blessed be the name of the glorious King forever and ever. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind. And these words I have commanded to you, you will have in your heart. And he gives them this incredible picture there in Deuteronomy chapter 6 uh, of in essence how to start each day and finish each day. And you shall teach these things diligently unto your children. And you shall speak of them when you sit in your home and when you go out, when you walk along the way. This, this wonderful picture of God's care. And he would go so far as you're to, you're to write them on your hand. Put them on your hand and put them between the frontlets of your eyes. And then eventually it would go on the doorpost of your home. And there's this, there's a, there's this incredible sense. It's like, yeah, I'm talking to God. And they would do this absolutely every single day. They'd do it at 9 o'clock in the morning, and they'd do it at noon. They'd usually do it again later in the afternoon at 3. And so they just, this wonderful thing. And then after a while, it's like, oh man, it's Shema time. I've got to stop what I'm doing, and I've got to pray. Isn't it weird how we can get like that? Oh, there's no joy in it. It became duty. And something you'll see when we travel to Israel, the, the, very, the ultra-Orthodox, they, they do actually bind the Word of God to their arms, to their wrist. They actually bind the Word of God in a phylactery on their forehead. There's a little box usually has one of their favorite verses in there. Very often, they'll actually have the Shema in there. And it became work. 
instead of communion. St. Francis of Salas in France said this. He said that every Christian needs a half hour of prayer each day except when he's busy and then he needs an hour. Grand Meister of Bavaria, Meister Eckhart, said every day we need to plead the Lord's Prayer, Thy will be done, yet when His will is done we grumble and we're not pleased with it. That's true. We can turn something so wonderful, so life-changing, so transformative as our prayer life, we can turn it into uh, just a ritual, another thing that we do. And here's when we do it. And again, please don't get me wrong here. You should pray as often as the Lord leads you to pray. And certainly, you know, we pray over every meal. But there's sometimes, you know, it kind of strikes you. It's just like, oh, we didn't do that. And it's not because we think we displeased the Lord. It's like, oh, didn't check that box. You see, Jesus has given us some clues here, some things on how not to pray. First thing that we see is don't make it a ritual. Ritual prayers that the Jewish people offered, basically three attitudes that they had. Uh, they, they would have sincerity, and then they'd have indifference, and then they'd have pride. It's like, first it starts out as being really sincere. You remember when you first got saved? I don't know how, if any of you can remember back in your prayer life when you first got saved, but I think of some of the prayers that I offered. It's just like, God, just save me. I know I'm a sinner. And I need you. I can't fix my own life, God. Do you remember how genuine and sincere your prayer life was? Because it wasn't all messed up with ritual. It wasn't all junked up with a bunch of stuff that you kind of learned at church. Maybe you heard somebody else pray. Well, they sound like a good prayer, so I'll pray like them. And again, it's okay to model people when you know someone has a, a wonderful prayer life. But you don't have to be like that. Pastor Chuck and I used to laugh all the time because very frequently we'd travel around, go someplace together. You know, it, whenever he's around, he gets to pray. And he would usually ask somebody else to pray. It's just like, you know, just talking to God. And inevitably, you'd listen to the person pray, and they would, you know, it would just be like, Oh, majestic, grand, holy Father. You alone who dwell in the heavens on high, your majesty is great in glory. You know, they go into this long oration of things that they never pray. And then they'd ask Chuck to pray for the meal. God bless this food. Amen. <laughs> it was genuine. It was real. It wanted to eat. The man loved to eat. He just wanted to thank God for it. By the way, he told me a very wise thing. Never ask God to bless dessert. Just thank him for it. Because <laughs> you're not praying in his will when you ask him to bless something that's got 9,000 calories in it. But we can turn it into a ritual, can't we? And all of a sudden, we're doing, we get around other people and we, change, we even change our voice. I've had people, they have their prayer voice and they have their regular voice. And they have their prayer words and their regular words. God just wants to talk to you. He wants to communicate with you and love on you. Second error that the Jewish people had really allowed to creep in was prescribed prayers. They had specific prayers for, you know, light and darkness and fire and rain and a new moon and traveling and you know, there's just all these like prescribed prayers. And in fact, one of the great uh, schisms, the schismatics that, that fled from the Church of England, one of the things that they objected to was the common book of prayer. It was like you, okay, well, it's on page 47, and this is the prayer that we do if somebody's dog gets lost. It's the lost dog prayer. And then here's the one, if you don't have quite enough, if, if your crops are not producing, here's the non-crop producing prayer. And I'm being a little facetious, but it's relatively accurate. There were just prayers for everything. And you'd turn, and it's like, okay, well, here's the prayer for that. And that's the, pray that, that's the prayer that you offered. And when God is saying, don't make it like that. 
much of, of what goes on today in some churches are those types of prayers. They're not somebody honestly asking God what God thinks about a subject. They're not asking, beseeching God because this is their concern. It's like, oh, look, I read this and I need to pray this prayer. There was, there was for a, quite a while, maybe 15 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, I don't know, there was this whole movement of praying the prayer of Jabez. And people would get out the prayer of Jabez and they'd go, bless me indeed, O God. It's just like they felt if they just repeated that prayer over and over and over and over and over again, somehow they'd get all their bills paid and, you know, the stuff would just happen. No, that was Jabez's prayer. We have it recorded so we can see what his prayer life looked like, not so we can just simply go about repeating what he prayed. A third area where I think we can use a tune-up at times is just limiting prayer to specific times. It's like, this is my prayer time. Look, like if you have to drive in L.A., it's prayer time. <laughs> if you have a job, prayer time. If you have kids, prayer time. If you're married, prayer time. You see, prayer time it should be all the time. That's why Paul admonished us to pray without ceasing. There's no specific time. It's not like your prayers are better if it's 4.30 in the morning. It's not like God hears them more if it's 11.45. Just pray. Many faithful people get up and, you know, and you've seen it. And again, I'm not trying to pick on any one particular group. But if you have to wait for it to be a specific time to pray, you're, you're kind of missing the point. A fourth thing, I believe it's an area of poverty in our prayer lives. And they did it in this passage. They esteemed really long prayers. They think that they'll be heard for their many words. Land the plane. <laughs> Bring it in for a landing. Put it on the runway. God knows what you have need of before you even ask him, so he doesn't need all the little tidbits and pieces. You, you can actually pray effectively by simply making your requests known to God. Isn't that what Scripture says to do? We're to make our requests known unto God. And it's a request. Remember, we're asking. We're not telling you see, it's not necessarily an insincere prayer. It's a long prayer. Sometimes you get into that mode where you just, you're on a roll. That's a different matter. You're just praying and God puts something else on your heart. But, but it's not because you keep repeating the same basic thing over and over and over and over and over and over again. God's not deaf. He heard you the first time. Verbosity gets confused sometimes with meaning and length was confused with sincerity. You see, he, he really does hear. And he's attentive unto the prayers of his children. Amen? Isn't that what Scripture says about him and his listening? A fifth thing that Jesus singles out here in verse 7 is that of meaningless repetitions. And he goes on to say that it's what the heathens did. There's a couple of great examples in Scripture. One is in 1 Kings chapter 18, and it's the contest with Elijah and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Do you remember what they were doing? They were chanting their brains out the same exact thing over and over and over and over from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us. And they rave from the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. They're just like going on and on and on. And they're chanting and screaming and yelling. And they thought that if they just simply repeated the same words, that somehow it had more power the 1600th time. You don't need to do that. And through the centuries, unfortunately, many of the Jewish people got influenced by those pagan practices. And so they began to repeat over and over and over and over again the same prayer. And they'd add some more adjectives before God's name. And, and in essence, it had turned into a contest to see who could outdo the other person praying publicly with the most adjectives before God's name. 
We don't need to do that. You can be honest with God in your prayer life. You just ask him, say, Lord, I don't even, I don't know whether you all do this or not. But one of my, I, I believe one of my strongest points is I don't know what to pray sometimes in my prayer life. It's just like, Lord, I don't even know what to pray. I don't even know what to ask for right now. I get a lot like Paul. You know, if I just need to groan in the spirit or just moan or agonize over something, I mean, I, I honestly can tell you sometimes I've just wept prayers. There's not even any content to them verbally. It's just like my heart is grieved or broken over something, and I just sit there and sob before the Lord. Now, you may not want to know that about me, but it's true. It's like, God, I don't know what to pray. But I know this. The Lord collects every one of those tears in a bottle, and he knows exactly where they hit. And he knows what's going on. And, and I believe he honors that. And none of these things, while intrinsically evil, are, are kind of things that you can see how people focus upon themselves instead of on the Lord. Prayer is Godward focused. Prayer is not inward. Prayer is upward. We're, we're actually asking God, we, we need your input, Lord. And when it gets turned inwardly to where it's like, Lord, it's all about me. Prayer that focuses on self almost always is at least a little bit hypocritical. Because God, in fact, does know our needs before we have need of those things. So God should be our focus. And sometimes we almost treat prayer like holy chewing gum. You can kind of you know, just see how far you can stretch it. People today still kind of deceive themselves into thinking that, that if there's religious trappings, that somehow that's, that's going to be okay. It's going to be good with God. And, and God's really just asking for honesty with us. Just you and the Lord. And I can tell you this, that your prayer life is not immune to the attacks of the enemy. Amen? You, you, you want to you get attacked, commit yourself to prayer. Now I'm telling you, you need to do this, so I'm just warning you ahead of time that when you commit yourself to pray, you can, you can be absolutely assured you'll put something in the microwave and burn it and the smoke alarm will go off. Uh, you will, your alarm clock will break. You will not get up on time. Uh, you, you'll have all manner of things going on in your life because the enemy hates praying people. The enemy will come against you. And so in these occasions here, the hypocrites were standing in prayer and see, the normal standing position was, was quite okay with the Jewish people. That was something that they did. And in the Old Testament, God's faithful actually got on their knees and they laid prostrate on the ground. And, and sometimes they prayed while they were standing. But in the New Testament times, the most common position uh, really wasn't even necessary. People just prayed whenever they had a time of prayer. And so wherever where they were standing, they prayed instead. If they were... Sitting, they, they sit. If they were kneeling, they kneeled. If they felt like kneeling when they were standing, they did that. It, it wasn't like, okay, well, this is a time of kneeling. Or this is a time of standing. It's, it's between you and God. There are some times when I want to stand and I pray. And there are some times when I kneel when I pray. There are some times I get on my face when I pray. There are some times I lay down when I'm praying. Public places are, are one of those things that I think we have to be careful not to stretch too far here because it's okay to pray in public places. In fact, it's even necessary to pray in public places many times. But that's not what's being said here. And the reason we know that is from the original language, from the, from the Greek that's used here. The word for street is not the same in verse 2, which is a narrow street, a rume. Um, this is actually... Uh, a platea, and a platea we would call a boulevard or a main intersection. In other words, these guys were going out finding the busiest street in their community, and that's where they would do their praying. 
That's very obvious, the implication there. It's like they would go to be seen. In other words, more people are going to pass by if I go pray over there because people will see me. It'd be much like after service, you're out in the foyer on your knees praying. Well, not only is that going to be bad for your health because someone's going to trip over you and fall on you, but obviously the connotation is God can hear your prayer right over there at the end of the pew just as well as he can hear it out there in the middle of the lobby. And so unless there's a reason to be out in the middle of the lobby, in other words, you're gathering everybody together to pray that's out in the lobby, then a good place to do that is in a secret place where you and the Lord can talk. Where you can be quiet before the Lord. Not someplace where other people will necessarily see you. You see, sometimes we can even make the place that we pray pray into a major deal, and the Lord's just like, look, I hear you wherever you are. Some overly reactionary believers from time to time will will say that this kind of prohibits even public prayer, and it, it doesn't do anything of the kind. And in fact, there are many instances in the Gospels, also in the book of Chronicles, Nehemiah, the book of Acts, all show us places where people gather together in prayer meetings, and so it's all totally fine. And so when you look at this and condense it down, our prayer shouldn't be ritualistic. Our prayers shouldn't be mechanical. They should not be inordinately long. They shouldn't be repetitious. And above all, they shouldn't be ostentatious. In other words, just be you when you're talking to God. Whatever that is. However that works out. And he says, look, and, and, and to do that, go to the most private place you can find. Go to some place where it can just be you and God. That's why you drive and pray while you're driving. That's some place sitting on a rock somewhere, go, go, go pray in a place that you and God can be alone. And it really doesn't have so much to do with, with, an, with a, a place or a location as it does with the attitude of your heart. Go someplace where you can be alone with God. That's tough for me. When it's busy, I don't know if anybody else in here gets distracted. I get distracted, kind of by stuff like that. That's, <laughs> that actually does distract me. Not much does, but I get distracted. There's a lot of stuff going on. And I'm, one, I'm one of those people, I like, okay, why did that happen? People have actually asked me, well, you have windows in your eye. I have windows in my office, but I keep the blinds closed most of the time. Well, why? You know, let, let, no, because if I open the windows, then I can see every car that goes by. And every person on a bicycle that goes down the sidewalk. I'm like, I just get distracted. This is the way my brain works. I want to know why they're going that way as opposed to the other way. It's the way my head, all those useless facts that I know, that's how they get there. It's like, I just, what is that guy doing? Then I'll usually go ask him, did you see that guy? What was he doing? And I was actually meaning to pray. Instead of praying, I'm trying to figure out what the guy was doing on the bicycle going the wrong way. And so I have to kind of shut my, everything else out. I need to not be distracted. And why? It's basically the answer is here. Because your father being in secret hears absolutely everything. He doesn't need to be stimulated by the situation. He doesn't need to be in a corporate atmosphere. He wants intimacy with us. And when he sees in secret, this is a really special thing for us. Because what he sees in secret means he keeps it intimately between you and him. Very often when we pray publicly, we kind of complicate things. Because God's able to work on this situation when it's just you and him, and then all of a sudden we have all these people, you know, they're kind of let in on your private conversation with God. And before you know it, you have people praying things that are, are, you know, may or may not be God's will, but certainly are not in concert with the direction that maybe you believe God wants you to pray. Maybe you're contemplating some decision in your life and you bring it up in a public environment. And before you know it's a good thing to have people pray for simple things like your health, if you're going to the doctor, those types of things. But when you're about to make some major decision, I'll give you a little secret. You keep it between you and God. Maybe a trusted friend or two. But when you expose it to a whole bunch of people, pretty soon you're no longer getting prayer. You're just getting advice. 
It's no longer coming from heaven, it's coming from man. God can speak to you individually. And again, don't get me wrong, I'm not disrespecting corporate prayer here. But there's not a whole lot that you need to take before a whole large group of people unless you want to have a whole bunch of advice. Keep it between you and God. If God tells you to do something to bear witness to him, by all means take it in a, in a public forum. But a lot of things you can keep between you and God. And that way, no one else needs to be on, in on that business that God's doing in your life. I've had an awful lot of people that they found out that their husband or their wife was brought up in the midst of a prayer group. And it tears apart their marriage. I've had kids find out that their parents, you know, talked about every little silly thing that their kids did in front of 50 people in some prayer group someplace. And, and before you know it, the kids are further gone than before they started praying. God can hear you. He's able. And save some very close spiritual friends. You don't need to make everything posted on Facebook. God hears your prayer requests. He's able. He sees in secret in the sense that he keeps the confidence that you've entrusted uh, to him in that relationship. The final thing here as we wrap this up tonight is I think what we could best call content. What is the content of our prayers? And he says here, notice verse 7, And when you're praying, don't use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they'll be heard for their many words. And I want to be careful here. Meaningless repetition actually is a Greek word. It's batologio. Uh, and batologio is, is something that's fairly unique and fairly specific. And it falls in line, and perhaps you've seen it if you know anything about world religions uh, you may have seen a, a, a Buddhist or perhaps a Hindu uh, prayer wheel, very common in, in Buddhist culture. And there's actually a wheel, and they think that they spin it, and every time they spin it, that same prayer gets fired off to God. The same thing is found in candles. Many people believe that if you light a candle and you pray over it, that the prayer continues up as long as the candle stays lit. There are all kinds of things that we do that aren't found in your Bible. They're, they're not there. You, you see, it, it, God doesn't need all the trappings, all the stuff. He doesn't need a prayer wheel. He doesn't need a prayer circle. He doesn't need a prayer journey path. He doesn't need anything. He needs your heart and you talking to him. Some people say, well, you know, I need to go to my prayer garden or this place or that place. If your prayer life is confined to a place, then you're going to have a very poor prayer life. It's going to be limited to whenever you can go to that place. And you're going to find out it falls very, very, very short. Because your life is going to be very complex and you're not going to be able to make it there as often as you'd like. And so when the Apostle Paul reminds us to pray without ceasing, he's doing it because we need prayer all the time. Amen? You just open up your heart to God and say, God, speak into my life. So many things that we do, we do because somebody said we should do it that way. You don't need candles, you don't need a bunch of beads, you don't need a wheel, you don't need any of those things. And you don't need to simply repeat things over and 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 over again. Jesus himself said, don't do that, please. So I'd encourage you, if you want a vibrant prayer life, hear what Jesus says. And Jesus didn't forbid genuine repetition of things that were actually on your heart. In other words, you pray for your kids every day. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Matter of fact, I would say it's a really good thing to do. But it doesn't have to be 40 times right in a row. Save my son, 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 save my son. Save my son. It's a good prayer, by the way. But the Lord heard you the first time. okay and then the next time it's brought to your mind pray that prayer again God will bring justice just as he says and he'll do things perfectly correctly 
We don't want to get thoughtless. We don't want to get indifferent. We don't want to get religious about our praying. Remember Jesus in his own prayer in the garden. Yes, Father, if there's any way that you can let this cup pass from me, not as I will, as you, as you will. Let that be done. Very focused on God the Father. And that good content, verse 8, reminds us to make it sincere. And therefore, don't be like the people who aren't praying correctly. For your Father knows what you have need of before you even ask Him. Very often, we're just simply reminding ourselves of who God is when we pray. Amen? I love that. I love to remind God that I remember His promises. I'm not telling Him what they are. I'm reminding Him that I know what they are. I'm saying, God, I know that you desire for all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of repentance. Your word declares that. And so I'm asking for what you've already told me. God, I know that your word says that you, my God, shall supply all of my needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Here's a need that I have in my life, and I'm praying what you have said you will do. Your word says, God, that if I will diligently seek you with all of my heart, that I will find you. Your word says that, God. Lord, your word says that your, your good thoughts towards me are as numerous as the sands of the sea, and I'm letting you know that I know that, Lord. And I trust you for that. And so here it is. Because see, God already knows what he said. He wants you to acknowledge that you know what he said. And that you're looking for what he wants. Not necessarily what you want. I'll give you a little secret. If you ask me to pray for you to be healed, I'm going to pray for you to be healed. But I want to tell you something. I know, because God's word says, that he does not heal everybody. And nowhere in scripture does he promise to heal everybody. And nowhere in scripture do we see him healing everybody. And in fact, his friend even died that I will also pray, nevertheless, God, not my will, but your will be done. Because there are times when he allows sickness in our life. We have to acknowledge that. So to pray in his will, I have to leave the door open for him to do what he wants to do. And maybe he doesn't want to heal you. There could very well be a reason why he's given you that affliction. I can tell you emphatically in my own life, I have asked God for some things that he has chosen not to answer. And I thought they were good, honest requests. It's like, Lord, please. And he's saying, nope. And then I live long enough to go, hmm, he was right. You gave me exactly what I needed. You didn't give me what I asked for. Because had you given me what I asked for, oh boy, would I be in trouble now. So sometimes God chooses to leave us with sickness. Sometimes God allows our finances to be absolutely devastated. Sometimes the Lord allows cars to break down. We get in car accidents, all kinds of stuff. That doesn't mean that God doesn't love you, and it doesn't mean that God doesn't hear your prayers. He's just saying, look, you need, you need to ask me what it is that this is for. Not so much why, but what. What's this for, Lord? If I need to learn something, I want to learn it quick because I sure don't want to stay in a trial very long. If it's a sickness, I'd, I'd like to be healed sooner rather than later, thank you, if that's your will. You definitely want to pray in faith, believing that God can and does heal for sure. So we pray for people to be healed, and we believe that God can and does. But we don't back him into a corner and say, well, Lord, if you don't heal him, there must be something wrong with him. Remember, Jesus got asked that question. Who sinned? Remember? Who sinned, the boy or his parents? And Jesus said, oh, no, that's not the answer at all. It's all good. So as we pray... And as the power of prayer uh, is put into place in our lives, remember that God already knows what you have need of. And he's asking you to agree with him. And as you do that, you have this amazing communication that goes back and forth between you and Father God. You're, you're no longer telling him what you need. 
specifically. You're reminding him that you know who he is and what he is and what he can do and what he's promised. And that what you want him to do is simply carry out his will in your life. And as he does that, you will have his best. Whatever it is, whatever he allows, whatever he brings. And you can pray effectively for him to change and transform. And you can pray effectively for you to have sufficient grace for whatever he allows. You pray both ways. If you do that, you don't get disappointed all that much. You say, Lord, if you, if you leave this in my life, then give me grace to get through it. If you take it from me, give me grace to praise you. So when you pray, when you pray, go to your Father in secret, and he who sees in secret will reward you openly. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thanks for the instruction. Lord, thanks for reminding us that we can just have this wonderful relationship with you, Lord, that as we pray, we're simply inquiring of you uh, for your will, for your perfect plan. Same way you, Jesus, prayed to your Father. Lord, help us to pray like that. And God, we would ask that you just move in our midst again, afresh and anew. And Lord, no doubt there are some of us tonight that actually need that prayer. Lord, we're, we're in, in desperate need of communication with you. And so, Father, we ask that you'd uh, ignite our prayer lives to make them what they should be, Lord, that we wouldn't uh, just repeat things endlessly, Lord, that we wouldn't have that, that vain prayer life that, that's based on tradition, Lord, that we'd have a vibrant prayer life that's based in relationship with you. And so, God, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. Lord, teach us to pray frequently, often, all places, always, every situation. Every position, Lord, whether we're in the car, in the closet, Lord, whether we're on the freeway or standing on a street corner, Lord, whether we're in church or at work or at the dinner table, gathered with our family, God, wherever we are, would our hearts be open and inclined to heaven to speak with the God who loves us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.